series called Average. And uh, we're about to finish up. Next week will be our last in the messages on the disciples. And next week we'll be talking about Judas. Tonight we're going to be talking about three individuals. Now, before you get a little too scared and kind of begin to, uh uh-oh, three, they're very short because there's just not a whole lot of information about them. So we'll be hitting them very quickly tonight and be walking through. Now, as we've talked about average, here's one of the things that we've kind of fleshed out and kind of developed is, is the fact that every one of the disciples every one of them were average people. They were normal. They were just average men that you would typically find during this time, during this day. None of them necessarily stood out as, oh, wow, you have to have them on your leadership team. If you're going to make a world-changing organization, you would not have picked any one of these guys because every one of them had major faults. And as we talk about average, it's very interesting. We don't grow up saying, I want to be average. If you look at any kids, and I have kids right now, and as, as we talk about things, it's fun to watch the imagination of, of kids. They dream of one day being the superstar, being Babe Ruth, hitting the home runs, not Josh Hamilton or especially after last night, right? But either way, he's still good. He still does a good job. And we're not going to talk about the Orioles. Ugh. Yeah, there you go. I knew, I knew Ryan would be excited about that. I, I, you know, the first thought that crossed my mind last night was not poor Rangers. It was like, oh man, I'm going to hear about this. That was the first thought. It's just how it goes, I guess. But as kids, we dream of being the superstar. We, our kids dream about that. Okay, how can I be the superstar? They play, they pretend. And it's always, whether it's, it's in the yard or it's in the house, it's superstar. What can we be? But very few people ever get to be the LeBron James, Larry Birds, the whoever else you want to go for, the Bill Gates. It, it doesn't matter. Very few people ever get to be that. Now, that doesn't downplay every one of us. That doesn't put us in a different category. It just means that for the most part, we're, we're going to be able to live regular lives. Now, regular average seems to be kind of one of those weird things because, again, my setting, your setting might be quite a bit different. And we look across the room, and even as adults, we can even catch ourselves daydreaming about being more than average, can't we? We look at it across the table. We look across the room. We even look across the industry as far as whatever business that we're in. And we look across and we begin to say, I I wish I had their life. I wish I had that. And we get on Facebook and we start saying, oh, wow, wouldn't it be nice to be like them? And we, we begin to daydream of what if I would have made that choice? What if I wouldn't have done this? And we begin to wonder what would have happened if we would have made a different choice or made a different life for ourselves. Because even at a point, they say there's a midlife crisis. Maybe some of you have even experienced that already. Some of us are kind of looking right now at it and going, oh man, here it comes, right? And it's that point of what's going to happen in my life. And you realize, okay, wait a minute. I don't know if I've done everything I wanted to do. I don't know if I've accomplished everything that I had set out to do or that I dreamed of. And the question becomes, what can God do with me now where I'm at? And even when it comes into the Christian world, we come into church and we begin to interact with people. We begin to interact with God. And there's usually a flash of, okay, I'm going to knock it out of the park and I'm going to be the super Christian. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to serve everywhere. I'm going to do everything I can. And what happens is very quickly, there's this tension in this move that begins to happen in our lives that we begin trying to actually earn God's favor by all the works that we do. And we begin to compete with each other and saying, well, you fasted? Well, I fasted more than you this week. And we begin this competition with spiritual acts, don't we? Because we want to be more than just average. And then when we come back down to it, here's what begins to happen is now as we interact with God, we begin to try to figure out how do we get through this whole process of just being average. I don't want to just be average. I don't want to be average in my Christian walk. Do you? I want to actually be more. I want to do more. And and you ask the question, what does that look like? And what's great about what we just got through singing is that Jesus paid it all. I'll be honest, there are so many times that I don't even feel worthy of getting up here to speak. It's just, I don't feel like I should be a pastor. There's so many times that it's just, you just don't feel worthy. And in the midst of all of that guilt and in the midst of all that junk, this is where the gospel shines the brightest, isn't it? That Jesus loves you with all your faults, with all your stuff, the junk in the trunk that you keep hidden with every bit of it. And the gospel comes in and says, you can't get good enough. You can't be good enough to come to Jesus. You can't get good enough just to even come to church. You can't get good enough for God to love you. He already loves you. And the beautiful part of the gospel is what we're headed towards and where we're headed in this whole movement here with the average is this that we come with our junk to God and that because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, he takes us, forgives us, wipes away the guilt, and he says, come and follow me. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It blows my mind, and that's where we're at tonight. Three guys, these three guys, again, when you hear some of the background, there's a couple of these guys, you're gonna go, are you serious? He's a follower of Jesus? He's a disciple? These are the world changers. These are the ones that Jesus said, follow me, and we're going to start something new. It's going to be called the church, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to turn the world upside down, and here they are, the three guys. You ready? Matthew chapter 10. We're going to pick up three guys tonight. Let's begin reading God's word. Would you please stand with me? Matthew chapter 10. And the Bible says, and he called to him his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. And here's the next three names. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, And Simon the Canaanite, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the cool weather. And God, I thank you for the chance just to stop, to pause, to worship you, to sing to you, together with believers to hear from you. I pray that your spirit would move and work in our hearts and minds tonight. And God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to apply to our lives what we've heard. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. 
So as we get started here, we are introduced to some of the disciples here. We first come into a man named James, the son of Alphaeus. Now let me introduce you to James, the son of Alphaeus. There's a little bit of of work that we kind of have to do back and forth here. So I'm going to ask that if you would, would you turn over to to Mark chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 2, and let's just kind of identify who Mark, uh, this, this man is. James, the son of Alphaeus. If you go over to Mark chapter 2, if you go down to verse 14, I'm going to introduce you to another man. This is, there's some conversation here. It says, and he passed by, this is Jesus, and he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now that's Matthew. Levi and Matthew are the same person. And it says that he's the son of Alphaeus. Now, the reason I bring this to your attention is because there have been several who, who would say that James, the son of Alphaeus and Matthew is also the brother of Matthew here. But there's a little bit more work we have to do because we're going to find out something else about him. So I would say that he's probably not the brother of Matthew. And here's the reason why. Now, if you go over to uh, Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 15, here's what we're going to find out. Mark chapter 15, which is the same book, Mark chapter 15, and go all the way down to verse 40. We're going to be introduced to James again. Now, this is at the very end of Jesus' life. He's on the cross, and there's some ladies looking on. So Mark chapter 15, verse 40, it says, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph. James the Younger and Joseph. Now, James the Younger is the man we're talking about, who's James the son of Alphaeus. He's actually called James the Less. How would you like that to be your name? I mean, it almost would be better to call me, you know, little than the less. Less important. James, the, the one who's not as good as, right? James the less. You're not as good. You don't measure up. Sorry, buddy. Man, I would rather have some kind of nickname. We were playing, to, my son was playing t-ball today, and we were out at the t-ball game, and it was fun listening to the other team. They had so many different um, nicknames for the kids, like Peanut, you know, and you start laughing, you're going, hey, that's, that's pretty good. But then this guy, James the Less. Why is he James the Less? Because there's a few other James in the, in the New Testament that you're going to be coming in contact with. One is James, who is the half-brother, the half-brother of Jesus. So that would kind of elevate you a little bit if you're saying, hey, my mom and dad are actually Joseph and Mary, and I grew up with, and I know Jesus personally firsthand. That would kind of give you an edge, wouldn't it? So this is James the less. He's not as good as James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he's not, he's not a, we can't really claim him. So this is who he is. So because here in Matthew, or in Mark, at the, at the crucifixion, it says James the younger, or James the less, again, this could be referring to, because it says younger here, it could refer to him as um, he might be the youngest, one of the younger disciples here. That's a, it's a possibility for us. Luke actually calls him James the Less. So again, that's just kind of a name. We're not really for sure why he's less, but that's what they kind of called him. Now, um, what we also find here is because it says, and Joseph over in Matthew, in Matthew at the crucifixion, Matthew actually records again, it says that James the Less and his mother, Mary, the mother of James the Less and of Joseph. And so that's 
the way we would say these two probably cannot be James and Matthew could not be brothers because these other two accounts actually give us the idea. Now, that's about as far as it goes for us. That's what makes it very hard tonight to actually put a whole message on James the Less. How do you talk about him? I guess we could talk about his nickname being Less. We could talk about can anybody who's younger actually perform and do well? We could go a lot of different directions, but that's about what we know. Here's what, what else we know. Um, when you get into church history, as we begin trying to follow who he is and what James has done, his name gets confused in the church history records. Um, his name gets confused with um, Jesus's half-brother. It also gets confused with some others. And so church history is, is very muddied water, if you would say, if I could say it that way. So to find out who he is. Now, um, some have said he was stoned. Some he said it was crucified. Others said he was strangled. There's so many different ways in which we don't really know what else happened. So James the Less, I guess it's very fitting that we know very little about who he is. All right, so let me introduce you to the next guy. Now, the next guy in Matthew's record actually calls him Thaddeus. Now, Thaddeus is a nickname as well. Thaddeus actually means breast child. Now, He's also given some other nicknames and some other names. Uh, Jerome, who's actually um, one of the premier church historians in the 300s, he gives us a a nickname for um, Thaddeus, and he actually calls him the the name, the man with three names. That's kind of an interesting, so three names. And so I'm just going to kind of give you my take and kind of going all the way back to Jerome since he's early. I want to go ahead and go back to him and just kind of let them say who Thaddeus is. So Thaddeus, here's what, we, here's what we know of Thaddeus. If you want to find out who Thaddeus is, in Luke chapter 6, verse 16, Luke gives his list of disciples, and he actually does not say Thaddeus. He actually says somebody else. So Luke chapter 6 and verse 16, and go all the way down, and you'll find, here's what he says. He says, in Matthew, in verse 15, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who is called the Zealot, and then he says, and Judas, the son of James. So Thaddeus would have a name of um, Judas, which is not Iscariot. So now you have two different guys named Judas in the disciples, one who's Judas, the Iscariot, who betrays Jesus, and then you have Judas, who is actually Judas, not the Iscariot, um, who's referred to as Thaddeus. And then also, there's one other nickname that's given to him, and that's in uh, Matthew. It's actually in some of the earliest Greek texts in Matthew's list. It actually says this. It says, Thaddeus, whose surname is, or I mean, Labaius, whose surname is Thaddeus. Labaius is another term that actually means heart child. So here's the nickname. It looks like the disciples gave Judas, not Iscariot. They didn't call him his name, his given name, Judas. They actually called him mama's boy. That's basically how those two terms come down. So he becomes a soft personality. He's a soft, um, maybe younger We're not really for sure much about him. Here's the only thing that we do find. If you go over to John chapter 14, this is the only time he speaks, and this is kind of the only glimpse that we get. Um, John chapter 14, and I'm kind of walking you through these passages again. So it makes it very difficult. But John chapter 14 and, and verse 22, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is talking about how that he's going to leave. Um, and he says, I'm not going to leave you by yourselves. When I leave, I'm going to actually give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to help you. He's going to be with you. He's going to walk with you. And 
it's, it should be a comforting thing. And then in verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? That's a fair question, isn't it? We gain from this simple, it's not a lack of faith. We never find him questioning. We never find him asking major questions in which he's concerned or he's, he's saying, I don't know how to believe. All he's doing is asking for clarification. So Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus just keeps walking and says, let me keep teaching you. If anyone loves me, he will keep my, uh, keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make his home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus continues teaching him, and there's no rebuke at all. And so what we know is this, that at least he has good questions. Other than that, he lets Peter and everybody, all the other disciples, make all the problems, cause all the problems, and he continues on. Now, the question becomes, what can God do with somebody who's silent and really back in the corner, who's maybe a, a mama's boy? Can God use somebody like that? Here's what church history says. Church history actually says that um, he went north to Turkey and actually ends up going to the royal city, Edessa, and the king of Edessa was named Abgar, and he became very sick. And Thaddeus, Judas, not Iscariot, comes into the king, and they say that he talks with him, and after a little bit of a conversation, there's a healing that takes place. The entire area erupts, he begins to preach and teach, and there's a revival that breaks out. And so that's, the, that's one of the records that I found that several other records kind of came back around and gave us um, some information. So I felt like that was probably the safest tradition to go with. And then what we also find is that Thaddeus's symbol, when you actually pictured the, the, all the disciples, the symbol that they used to describe Thaddeus is actually a club. And that's because um, by all accounts, when he died, he was martyred for preaching the gospel. He was clubbed to death. And so that's, again, um, each one of these guys have given their life. Now, here we go. One more, one more, and then I'll show you, and then we're going to start tying this all together. The last one is, that we find in Matthew is actually Simon. Now, Luke calls him Simon the Zealot, and Matthew actually puts him right next to Judas Iscariot. Now, Simon the Zealot, this is a very interesting character because Simon, being part of this group, automatically causes great concern. Here's the reason why. There were several different religious groups within um, Israel at the time. The Pharisees, they were really the, the very strong. They knew their Bibles. They were what you would call the fundamentalists. They really knew. I mean, they knew deep down. They knew all the fundamentals about the Bible, about theology. They understood it. Then you had the next group. They were the Sadducees. They would be considered the liberals of the day. They did not believe in an actual resurrection, a bodily resurrection. They did not believe in angels. And so they would deny very great truths of God's word, all right? But yet they were powerful. They were the aristocrats. They had the money. So these guys had, they had the power within the political realm. Then you would have another group that was called the Essenes. And these guys were, um, they would leave their communities. They would live out in deserts. They would live out in the caves. And if you've ever, if you've gone over to see the Dead Sea Scrolls over here at Southwestern Seminary, um, these guys were the ones who were living out in the caves who would be living celibate and they would study the law, but yet they didn't have, they didn't come in and do much teaching or help. They would just separate themselves and they would study. And then you had the zealots. 
Now, the zealots. Now, if you like ninjas or assassins, these would be the guys that you would like. These would be modern day terrorists. They did not like the Roman government. They made it very clear. But what they would do is that they would actually carry around small daggers. And they, were, they, would gain, they gained the nickname Dagger Men, Sakari, Dagger Men. And what they would do is they would sneak up behind soldiers. They'd be walking. And in order to get rid of soldiers, basically what they would do is they'd come behind them. They'd pull out their knife, stab them right here in the back where it was open between the ribs, right into the heart, kill them immediately. And yet keep on walking and nobody would ever know what happened or who killed them. And so they were very much, they would, they, would, they would cause problems, they would cause riots, yet then they weren't once traced back to because nobody could ever pin, pinpoint them. They were right there. They would kill, come out, and then be running back and forth. Now, you'll find them in Acts. Their, their leader is actually in Acts. You'll find them mentioned in Acts just a little bit more. But what's dangerous is why would Jesus have a man like this? Isn't that amazing? This blew my mind as you, as you study it and you even find out who they are. Why would Jesus have killer? Why would Jesus have a terrorist come in? Now, they were looking for the Messiah and they were ready to get rid of the Romans. They would do whatever it would take. You can find out very quickly, he's passionate, he has energy, he's willing to do whatever it takes. But Jesus comes to him and says, Simon, follow me. Simon follows but he always keeps that name. Even when the disciples are writing about him years later and they're giving the gospel records, it's interesting they kept that name tied to him because that's who he was. That's what he came out of. He never lost his passion. He kept his passion. And here's what church history says. Church history actually says that he goes all the way up into the, the um, British Isles And in the British Isles, he begins to preach and he begins to teach and he takes the gospel north and by all accounts, he's killed for preaching the gospel, but there's actually no more reliable accounts that finish off where he ended up dying or what happened. So here we go. It feels very much like you just went to school and it feels very much like you just went to a history lesson and now we we need to kind of start wrapping this up and really start pulling this together. Let me give you three things. Let me give you three things that I think begin to play out as we've studied the disciples. Next week, we're talking about Judas, and I wanted to spend an entire week on Judas. But here's the first of the three things. These three things, I think, are very important for us to understand and see. Number one, the focus of the scripture is not on these men. Where's the focus lie? Jesus. The focus of the Bible, the focus of the disciples, it's always pointing back to who? Jesus. And here's our temptation as humans. As humans, when we find a superstar, when we find somebody who is, oh, wow, they just go above and beyond, what is our tendency? Our tendency is always to worship them. We do it in our culture. It doesn't matter which band it is. It doesn't matter which politician it is. It doesn't matter what athlete, we tend to glorify and worship them more than the creator who made them. Are you following me? And our tendency with the disciples has always been, who are these guys? And what's interesting to me 
is that when you trace back the history of the Bible, you trace back all the documents we have to prove, the doc, prove that these texts are real, God has preserved the Bible in such an amazing effort. Copies and copies. Let me just give you just a for instance. We say Plato is real. Plato actually wrote. We only have seven copies of Plato, and it's dated back not even very close to his original writing. The Greek New Testament alone, we have over 25,000 copies. And now with the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we get back within 100 years. Does that not blow your mind? But yet, when it comes to the disciples, all of a sudden we just lose track of who they are or what they've done. And here's the reason. I believe without a doubt, the reason has always been it has to point back to Jesus, not them. And in our own personal lives, the point as we get into God's word, it's always to point us to Jesus and not to point us to the men or women that God uses in our own day in our own time. One of the problems that we have and one of the things that we do is we tend to elevate people. And we can do it whether it's in a Sunday school class or even in a, in a we have superstar preachers now with TV and media, don't we? And we elevate people very quickly and all of a sudden when they fall, what happens? People's faith began to crash because it was built around a person. And one of the things we have to strive for is understand is that it cannot ever be built on a person. It has to always be built on Jesus Christ. That's the first lesson. The second one is this. The second one, God is committed to working through people who are willing to make much of him. I love that because it's never been about the talent. It's never about your talent and it's never about my talent. It's always about our willingness and our availability to him. And what the disciples teach us and what the disciples should point us to is the fact that God can take average people, ordinary people, people who actually don't really have much to offer God. Let's be real honest about it. But yet in the moment that we're willing to say, God, we're not gonna make much about us, we'll make much about you. God begins to take and do amazing things with those lives. And as a church, as people, when we become more concerned, let's be ready, about buildings, money, offerings, numbers in the pew, we become more about our glory then God steps out every time, every time. Because it's always about us making much of him, not us making much of ourselves. And you find an average person who's willing to just step back and say, God, it doesn't have to be about me. I'll just let it be about you. Whatever you choose, I'm willing to follow like these disciples. (laughs) God does that unimaginable. He takes high school students and turns schools upside down. He takes average you and me. But it all comes back to, are we willing to make much of him? The last thing that I think I see here and I want us to pull down and look at is this, the great exchange. The great exchange that we are all faced with is abandoning everything that you love for the sake of Jesus. 
That's exactly the picture that you see here. Every one of these men walk away from their livelihoods, from their family, from their comfort zones, and even from the regions in which they were born and raised. And in their time and in their day, you just didn't leave the family business. And every one of them were willing because Jesus was worth that much to them. So here's the question, and here's where it comes down. Is Jesus worth that much for us? Many of you have started the book series, and you're going into your small groups, and you're talking about radical. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's dovetailing so nicely because the next part of the thing that we have to look in chapter 10 is the cost of following Jesus. And that becomes the driving point. We have just been given a clear picture of what it looks like of men who lived, who are real, who really gave up, who really, it costs them something to follow Jesus. And every one of these 11 men, it was worth enough not only to live, but to die. And we struggle. And this is where I want us to go I need us to land here and I need us to walk through this in our own personal lives. We struggle with the small commitments that we give Jesus. And the question becomes, how worth it is it to you? And the question becomes, first of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, it starts there. He is the one that's worth giving everything to. Why? Because not only can he forgive your sins, he can put them in the past, never to be judged because it was already judged on the cross. Jesus paid for your penalty of sin. It's done. He wants to bring you into it, joining him forever. He's the greatest thing that you'll ever find. To get to live with him forever, but to get to live this life with him is an amazing gift. To be forgiven, to enjoy him. So church, For us who know Jesus Christ and we've already taken care of salvation, the hard truth that we have to come to is we celebrate who these guys are, we celebrate what they've done, but it begs the question, are we willing? Are we willing and is Jesus worth it to follow? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a hard question. You can't answer it tonight in just a quick yes or no. But maybe this is where our prayer starts. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I can. I don't feel like I can say with honesty that I really want Jesus to be that worth it yet. But I'm willing to pray and start asking that God would help change my heart to where I would love him like that. That God, would you please just start working in my life so that I see you as the greatest thing for me? What if we started there? And what if we're willing to give that next step? That would help us start a whole new journey if we just said yes to the thing that's right in front of us.